I'm John Doberstein, Senior Editor at No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2018 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Designing a Cover Crop Mix and Managing Your Creation, is sponsored by Yitter Manufacturing Company. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing Company for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. The task of implementing cover crops into a no-till rotation goes well beyond just seeding them after harvest. Mixed design, carbon to nitrogen ratios, cash crop goals, termination strategies, and biomass management must be well thought out and planned in advance, says Adam Doherty. Whether no-tillers are simply enhancing no-till operations with low biomass covers or shooting for high-intensity mixes, the district conservationists for the NRCS in Coffee County, Tennessee will discuss upfront planning and strategies for biomass crucial to ensuring successful integration of cover crops in no-till. While enjoying this program, I encourage you to download a PDF of Adam's presentation provided on the No-Till Farmer website landing page for this podcast so you can follow along and learn more about promoting healthy no-tilled soils. Now let's just jump right in and start talking about mix design. To me, one of the most important things, what I work with my producers on what I had to work with myself on is when we're talking about mix design, the most important thing is we need to understand carbon-nitrogen ratios and how they play a role in the soil, okay? And this chart's in some of the books and all that business, and it's always got the rabbit and the turtle, and it has decomposition rate. As carbon increases, the decomposition rate's going to be slower. I marked that out, and I want you all to start thinking about consumption and cycling. Because when we start thinking about decomposition, I mean, I was just kind of thinking about something laying there rotten. That's kind of what we think about. And I'm not saying decomposition is not the correct technical term, but consumption and cycling is how we need to start thinking about our covers, our carbon to nitrogen, our residue. That's what's going on, folks, is it because we got a jungle down there. All right. We got big critters. We got little critters. They all got to eat. They all play a role. So think about the soil. It is a jungle ecosystem, and we're going to be talking about how we're cycling these residues. Now, what do we want in a cover crop? I do not want this, all right? I don't want that. Too high carbon-nitrogen ratio for most of our cropping systems, okay? Very high. We're going to be mobilizing a lot of nitrogen. We're going to leave the soil naked pretty quick right there with something with that lower carbon-nitrogen ratio. All we're talking about here is a balancing act. Each field's gonna have a different balancing act. This balancing act is gonna change in time as things are changing in your field. 
We can have be too low, we can be too high. I generally shift a little bit on the high end of the carbon to nitrogen ratio, okay? As, as a lot of folks will ideally think, I always want to be safe because one of the first things that can destroy our ability, our soil's ability to function is we leave it naked, all right? When, when something's laying out there naked, so I always want to make sure I keep my soil covered the best I can. So I shift a little bit to the high side on the carbon-nitrogen ratio, especially in these fields that I've been, had in for a couple years, and I, I'm getting a pretty good idea of what they got going on. Now, when we first started this, certainly in my neck of the woods where we can plant anything, I mean, it got real complicated on what we plant. I mean, folks were really losing sleep over this. They were having, you know, do we plant three things? My, what if I, you want six? What if I plant seven? What if I plant 5.4? Okay, I mean, folks was going crazy about this. If you just planted four things, the whole system's going to fail. Okay? Do not overcomplicate this. I'm a simple thinking type feller. I want some grasses. I want some legumes. And I want some brassicas in certain percentages. That's about how much thought process I put into this, guys. I never want 100% brassicas because what's going to happen to me after winter? I ain't going to have many clothes on my field, am I? Okay? I never want 100% legumes. And I think I've spoke to a few people around here about this, but if you want to cannibalize your soil, you plant a straight legume cover crop. Okay? Because what's that legume doing? It is fixating nitrogen in the system, right? And I always try to think about nitrogen is my protein. You know, if I'm trying to evaluate this, where I can understand it. Nitrogen is my protein. Carbon is my energy source. Well, if I'm going to be eating a steak, what do I got to have to synthesize that steak I ate? I've got to have an energy source, correct? I got to have some taters with it. Who said that? All right. Extreme, extremely smart individual right here. All right. If I come with a straight legume cover crop in a high-functioning field, and I, and I burn that cover crop down, where is my primary energy source going to be? How many of you have ever seen Archuleta do the slate test? Hear him talk about the glomel and the biotic glues. That is the most readily available simple carbon form that the bacteria that synthesize those nitrogen nodules can eat. That is their salad bar. That's where they go and feed. So when I go with a straight legume cover crop and we terminate it, it's got to find the energy somewhere. We de-aggregate our soil, and then it starts losing the ability to infiltrate, all that type of business. So keep that in mind. Things to consider when designing a mix, there is tons of it. It's going to be different from all of it. So I'm not going to go over this in a lot of detail, but it ranges from what the following crop is to known termination issues, culture issues, the neighbors, aesthetics. There is a lot of things to consider. Okay, I'd rather have a decent mix managed right than some perfect mix, we silver bullet mix we think we've designed managed decent. Does that make sense to everybody? You know, when we started this, especially from an agency standpoint, it was all about we've got to get this in the ground early. We got, I mean, if you, if you don't plant it by October 15th, the world's going to end again. Okay, and we put so much emphasis up front that we forgot about how we forgot about how to manage this. I design in the fall and I manage in the spring for my desired results. 
This is going to hold true no matter where you're at, okay? Or, you know, you can do the same thing with summer mixes. But this is the exact same mix, okay? The exact same mix planted in the exact same geographical area. And I want you to look what the difference a month makes, okay? It doesn't matter what all I've done in the fall. It all boils down to what my goals are for my field and the logistics that I'm going to manage to reach those goals in the spring. Okay, so everybody keep that in mind. There's a lot of tools out there and everything, you know, these calculators and stuff. They're very handy when you get started on this as, as far as evaluating what your carbon to nitrogen ratio estimation is going to be. I highly recommend that you use some of these tools. I think it's good for you and stuff. Use some of these tools and, and just play around with them and look how different species, different maturities, different percentages start changing the carbon-nitrogen ratio where you can start getting in your mind how this, how this works a little bit. The old 2042 rule works real well for us, okay? About 20 pounds of legumes, about 40 pounds of grasses, and I never exceed over 2 pounds of brassicas in our mixes, okay? Below that is a pretty common mix for us. And we can manage that mix from the low 30s to all the way up to the 50 to 60 to 1 carbon-nitrogen ratios, okay? That's another thing that diversity will let you do. Take the same mix and manage a lot of, you know, you've got a lot more flexibility in managing your carbon-nitrogen ratios. Uh, when we do drill this, we mix it all together. And uh, we always try to drill about a half inch, half inch to, <laughs> it's, things are nice sometimes in Tennessee. <laughs> but I, I'm going to get into establishment here in a minute on that. But, you know, I get to making these mixes and everything, and it always just, no matter what I've done, it always kind of seemed like I ended up with about 20 pounds of legumes, about 40 pounds of grasses, and about 2 pounds of brassicas. This is not the gospel. This is just something I'm presenting you in general where, what works for us. Then, sometimes weird stuff happens. You know, the soil demands something else. These fields are side by side, planted the same day, managed by the same person. All species came present on the left-hand side. Alan, he couldn't hardly walk through the vetch in that other one. I mean, I have no idea what went on. I, I really don't. You know, I, I really think that the soil gets the ability to dominate what species it needs growing. You know, that's the only thing I can figure out, you know. So completely different. We're not have to manage this different. We're going to have to be set up to plant different. Even though we planned everything in the fall, sometimes crazy stuff happens. You know, here's some more best laid plans. How well would you all be pleased if some green britches DC like me was working Williams, talking about how good this cover crop is and everything's going to be, and here is your first attempt. This is what I've set up for you. You wouldn't be real happy with me, would you? You know, had never planted covers before, and I create a jungle of vetch. We planted the same six, seven-way mix. Somehow or another, the vetch took over. You know, but we got her done. We got her done, and he sends me a Christmas card about every other year. Sometimes we'll have a reemergence. Some of the vets will come back and stuff, you know, after termination. You know, it's not common, but sometimes things happen, and it's not the end of the world. We can manage about anything. All right. 
Uh, man, I thought I had found the silver bullet. Found a brassica that really overwintered well. Canola. Man, I liked it. Nobody in, their nobody in the world ever had a problem killing it. So I bring it down there and I get stuff. We can't kill it. It's out there. Folks are, folks are panicking. You know, and then all of a sudden, for that year, for some reason, we had a hard time killing canola all over the nation. And I'm like, where was you all at the whole other time? You know, so there's several cuss words in Coffee County. Canola's one of them. Folks don't like it. Uh, you know, to me, it didn't have any problems. It just, when you, when you set your mind up to kill something, it kind of ticks us off when we can't kill it, right? You know, so it was more of a cultural deal. It's just, you know, we just didn't like it, but it happens. You know, not to get too kumbaya Williams, but this is an art, all right? This ain't an exact science. You know, we planned everything the same. Look at the variability that I just showed you is out of the same mix in one year, how things are going. You know, we cannot write one recipe and just stick to it or, or you'll quit this, okay? You gotta be very dynamic in your thought process. You gotta be able to switch on the go you got to be able to do something different on Wednesday than you did Monday. And sometimes you may have to do something different Wednesday evening than you did Monday morning. Okay, it's that variable. You know, I talk a lot about testing and stuff, but listen to your fields. Okay, you've got to listen to your fields. You know, this one here is telling me things. This one here is telling me i got to feed the beast. When your cornfields are there and you've just put down about 6,000 pounds of biomass and you come back and find that, that's good. That's what we want. But we've got to start changing up our mix. So how do we fix this? What, what do we do as planters, as producers? How do we feed this beast? There we go. We've got to increase it, right? We've got to increase it. Now, where do we increase our carbon nitrogen? In poundage, in species, or in biomass? Good, trick question, because you've had a beast to feed, right? This is what we want. This is probably not going to be the case year one, year two. Or it, it's not in our soils. It may be in some better inherent soils. This one's telling me I've done good. All right, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to see. Because this allows for all spheres, some of them big words, all right, the rhizosphere, the stratosphere. Now it allows for all of these to function, and it's important. It does not have to be this thick, but it's got to be covered, okay? Incorporating analytical data in the design. The chemistry, I mean, you know, I am big on the chemistry and the fertility. It's all important and it has to be evaluated. Okay, but there's other folks out there who specialize in that a lot more than I do and I leave it up to them. Keep in mind that carbon is our limiting nutrient, but liquid carbon is a different feed and comes in different forms, okay? If you don't get nothing else out of when I talk, keep, keep in mind that there is a difference in the flow of carbon and organic, lay by organic matter, okay? Keep in mind that difference. Most cases, we're gonna be growing for the primary, primarily we are gonna be growing a monoculture cash crop, okay? So 
at least half the year, we're going to be very non-diverse by nature, right? In a system that wants to be diverse. So we've got to keep that in mind. In general, as the biology and their functions increase, more carbon is going to be managed in the mix. And uh, it's very important to incorporate all this analytical data, but the final check, the, the final grade card, is reading your field. Okay? There is, there's no test out there better than the wisdom you can gain and your ability to read the signs, the symptoms, the blood test right there in front of your eyes. That is, if I can tell you one thing, that's the best way to make your decisions. But it's not only about just reading the biomass. It's about, did you get a stand in it? What is the residue like? Was it a success? Did you fail? Most importantly, did you reach your goals? Okay? That's most important. It's your goals. It's your farm. It's your land. It's your tail on the line. So it's got to reach your goals, folks. I don't really worry about this a whole lot early on in the journey. When I'm starting with a degraded system, I want to start priming it a little bit with lower carbon-nitrogen ratios. But years three, four and stuff, you really got to start watching this. And uh, Rick Haney's test, when you send it off, he'll send you back a recommendation for what mix to plant as far as percentage of grasses, percentage of glooms. I think he's probably spot on from the soil health aspect standpoint as far as building the healthy ecosystems. Sometimes I think that those mixes are maybe a little bit too high in carbon-nitrogen ratios for some of our systems starting out. But here's how I kind of put all this analytical data together. You got field one and field two, and these are real-world fields. Right off the bat, I have got to manage these different, okay? Microbial biomass is out the roof in one. Organic matters out the roof. Look right here. If I want to bury some drawers and disintegrate them, that fungal percentage right there, I can eat some fruit of the looms up in this field, okay? So this is how I, I start, you know, over 300 one-day CO2 compared to 64. So this is where we can use this data up front, and then as we start getting into the system to start making the predictions where I don't go out there and mess up and plant something too low a carbon-nitrogen ratio that I know is just going to disintegrate. Does everybody understand what I'm saying right here with this? We'll rejoin Adam's presentation in a moment, but I'd like to thank Yetter Manufacturing Company for sponsoring today's episode. With their tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to Adam's presentation as he discusses planting logistics when no-tillers are seeding cover crop mixes, including the pros and cons of different tools available to get seed in the ground. He'll also discuss advantages and disadvantages of burning down cover crops versus planting green and working with low biomass and high biomass cover crop seedings. 
Now let's talk a little bit about the planting logistics. I'm going to break it down. You can plant before you harvest a crop or you can plant after the harvest a crop. All right, that's really all we can do. Pre-harvest, airplane, high boy cedar, high boy broadcast, and interseeding. Now there's all different tools and that kind of stuff involved to do it, but that's your four options. Okay, and then post-harvest, we're basically drilling it, broadcasting it, and then what I call broadcasting fluffing. Okay, this is fluffing. There are several tools out there. We do a lot of, we are primarily probably 70, you say 70 cent Allen. I mean, where we're at, we've got a wide logistical window where we can have a lot more time to plant. But when I, we started this, I had a producer say, Adam, I really want to uh, do, a lot, do a lot of this. And it's the time, he said, but I'm going to need some help. And uh, I'm going to try to give me a little money through Equip. And he said, I, I can't afford to go get out and get a drill right now. So I got this thing. I went out there and he said, I've got this McFarland, you know, stalk chopper. And he said, let me let you watch it. And I said, so the first year, went out there and he had broadcast seed and he ran this thing across the field. And I said, this is the worst waste of diesel fuel I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you talking about just driving around in circles for nothing. Okay, that's how best stand of covers in the county. Okay, every field he had looked good. And I mean, this thing was doing nothing the way I thought it. Nothing magical about the McFarland real disc or anything. That's just the one I had to take a picture of. But we get just enough, the stalk chopping, and the, put it down if you want, it don't do nothing. But that rotary hoe, we get just enough fluffing and seed to soil contact. And in my area, usually enough moisture that we this really works well for us. I'm not going to say I'd recommend it in some of the more drier climates, okay? Certainly in the, some of the plains and stuff, I think drilling's your best option. But if you're in a moist environment where you usually get a few drinks of water in the fall, really like this. Cheap, fast, and we really get to spread that diversity out, and I don't isolate my roots every seven and a half inches. You know, here's how we sow a lot of covers. We run, we broadcast it. We are not mixing a filler. We're throwing cover crop seed in this. Just to be comfortable, 60 foot, okay? 60 foot's where we're at without streaking. Don't matter what we throw in there. There'll be some stuff get slung a little bit farther, but I mean, we're not doing a precision planting. We're planting cover crops. If you got something about like this and about that tall, 60 foot. No, we're not, we're not using ryegrass much except just in our wet, closed outlet depressions. It's tremendous. We don't have to use it. But I do, we do use it in our areas that get flooded. It's the only thing that I can find to grow that I can keep underwater and, and, still, and still survive. It, all this stuff you see in the mixes that I've got there, it, it'll, it'll kill out under saturated conditions. You know, here, here's to show the difference on where it has ran and uh, where it's not run. A lot less disturbance in a drill. And we're, you know, we're at 30 feet and we're at 25 acres an hour. I think it was designed after you work ground, and it, I think it's just a land finishing tool. On firm, harvestable ground, it don't do anything much to the soil, but you can see how it's fluffing those bean plummies. Then we start, you know, we started with a lot of this, but I want you, and I have nothing against the drills, but I get just as good a stand, and I don't have to leave. This is way, way too much disturbance for me. 
Okay, I can't, I don't like that much disturbance. I'm burning up way too much carbon, sealing off the surface a lot more than I have to for the desired results I need. You know, so we, you know, so we ran the other tool and then here we are, you know, this is just drilled covers. You know, something happens, we don't get a stand or we got a failed stand. That baby's tail's pretty naked right there to go through winter, ain't it? You know, you tell we get a little bit of slope in some of our ground. Let me, let me go ahead and piss everybody off. I don't care what the sticker says. I don't care how good the dealer's been to you, okay, and all their cousins. At whatever depth you run this thing, how many of you have ever wore a raincoat? How thick was it? How good a job did it do keeping you dry? Infiltration does not have to be stopped with a compaction layer this thick, folks. Just a little bit of, just a little small layer of visqueen that these things lay down at whatever depth you run them will halt your infiltration. And the bad part about it is, is then we take and lay this visqueen down and then we put flour on the top of it and if you've got any slope at all, she's gone. Okay? You, the folks that are sitting there in the back of their mind saying, I've got to have them to manage the residue. You do not have a residue problem. You have a biology problem. And if I hear light BT one more time, they ain't no such thing. You're either tilling it or you ain't tilling it. They ain't no medium heavy light. I'm sorry, tillage is tillage. Somebody showed the sign, the Dwayne Beck's deal. They ain't no in between, you know. So, anyways, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like saying I only root for Alabama on Saturdays and Sundays. You still can't hide that you're an Alabama fan, all right? So they just, you know, they just ain't no in between. The main difference, you see these things right here, these destroyers? We, what's the difference in this versus fluffing? I'm not running the disc. All I'm running is the stalk chopper and the rotary basket. The soil disturbance is zero as I can get it to get some incorporation. Here's where it comes down to it. It's up to you guys, okay? It's up to you all. Here's what I've been guilty of doing quite a bit. This is kind of how I rolled, and it will catch you every once in a while, but man, when you get the car before the horse, sometimes you gotta think quick and you gotta make decisions to make it work, right? So I've learned a lot by being foolish. Right off the bat, here's some basics that covers do not, that does not change. Planting depth. You want to yield drag, I don't care if it's clean dirt, no-till dirt, or biomass dirt. You don't go plant the right depth. It, you know, covers are forgiven for a lot of things, but it, it don't mean you can go out there and broadcast corn. Okay? We've got to get the right depths. Do not settle for depths that ain't right. This producer over here called me, said these fields are about 300 yards apart, planted on the same day. Said, Darty, I've got them voles that you brought in the county. So I go out there and look at it. I ain't got no voles. You got corn on top of the ground. Ain't, ain't no voles. Just in the different, and this was a dry year. And in my neck of the woods, we get by with inadequate planting depths a lot of times because our climate's that forgiving. 
Okay? Then you know, we call it a drought. If it don't rain if it don't rain in sixty hours, you know, we're under a small drought. Okay? You know, do not settle for it. It don't matter the covers ain't that forgiving. Even on beans. Even on beans in a non slug year. They wouldn't have slug in this. Can you imagine how much, what a stand I'd have had if we'd had a, we'd had six slugs in that field? How many of you run a smooth closing wheel on one side and a spiked on the other? How many of you ever done that? Me of you still like it. Surviving? It's the main reason why you done it is because it cost half as much to run just one in our ground. Typically we plant in a lot wetter conditions now because, because of the covers. We're, we got more soil moisture. If I want to ensure hatchet roots, I'll run, I'll run a smooth closed wheel in wetter conditions in our, in our heavy silt loam, clay loam soils. That's just, now, that it's, I mean, it's just what it's just what it does. So you know, we've we've got away from it. Spend quality time doing this. When you get off the tractor and you dig, there is a lot more things to look at real quick than depth. Okay, that's not the only thing we want to look at. You need to start to learn how to evaluate that seed trench. Read the side walls. When you start seeing these little air pockets right here, all right, it's time to go fishing. Let it dry up a day. Let it dry up a day. The covers are forgiven, but they're not that forgiven. Just because you're planting covers does not mean you can mud corn in. Okay? Typically, here's what works with us. Good to dry conditions. And, you know, what I'm saying good is just those, you know, them days that it should, the ground is perfect. Sm solid cat, any kind of smooth closing wheels working with us. Dry conditions, of course, to go to the solid. But in the wet conditions, some type of the spike closing wheel, okay? Then you get into wrapping. Some, we don't have the wrapping issues because we're pretty much, we're planting everything green. And it's usually rolled down we're going in the same direction, okay? So we've not had that type of issues. If you burn it down, and I'm talking any kind of biomass, I'm not, I'm not talking this kind of stuff, but you get in biomass and you've got it burnt down, I'll bet you're off. Okay, I mean, I saw, that's all I can tell you. Just all, I cannot predict how everything's going to plant during those situations. Pick a wheel. I was, uh, was planting some test plots with security seed and chemical back there, and I'm laying down on the ground cutting it, and they're taking pictures and making fun of me and putting it on all that social media and calling me dirt dauber and all that other stuff. But you've got you to gotta study. I don't care whichever one you run, but understand them. Okay, they're, they're going to close different. They're going to give two different environments for that plant to grow in. Nothing, th this is not a red planter slide, okay? The only thing I'm wanting you to look at here is the closing system right here. It does not work for us in our soil types with biomass. We have a hard time with this style system closing just in our heavier residue no-till ground. Okay, so if you're thinking about moving to biomass, and you got similar soils. Now you can take those, the smooth ones, and then just put the little spikes and roll on. Okay, so just keep things in mind if you're thinking about moving into some of these systems. Just here's some things I've seen that might save you a little bit of time right there when keep you in the field. Let's talk a little bit about low biomass. You know, you've seen these slides already. You know, planting in this kind of stuff, but you know, the only problems we have on this is the tractor don't start. Okay, as long as we get the tractor start, we, we don't run into issues. 
you know, but, you know, look, look right here at this corn. I've already got algal blooms coming because it's, it's ran out of carbon source right there. I'm, le I'm just not where I need to be to allow my soil to function to the capabilities it can. We can still grow good corn here. Infiltration's better. A lot of things are better, but it's not biomimicry. We're not mimicking nature to the degree we can. Therefore, we're not going to get the results that are potential. We are not going to rejuvenate our resource to the degree we can. You know, low biomass planting, I highly recommend you leave it green, okay, at this right here because you're planting logistic windows. It's going to be a lot, lot wider. Once, once, it, once you spray it, we're at the mercy of the sunshine and the rainfall, right? There is nothing else out there to manage with. You know, and I, you know, no rapping, you know, you ain't going to be cussing when you're planting into this stuff. Okay, there's some stuff that we can design that you'll, they'll make a preacher cuss, but, but that ain't, that ain't one of it. Then, you know, what I call medium biomass, six to 10,000 pounds, we can make tremendous strides right here. Okay, we can get to this stage of the game right here, and I fully believe can have extreme resource rejuvenation. I think that you can gain resiliency with this. I think that you can start lowering input. Here's what I'm talking about, folks. Here, This is the key right there. That's the key, keeping that carbon where it's got to be, protecting that soil. Notice what's left, still left. At early corn stage, you see any of the legume species? I mean, I ain't lying. We got them in there. Where did they go? They sitting straight in that corn here, ain't they? That's where we want them. You ain't heard me talk much about carbon penalties, nitrogen mobilization, have you? Why am I not seeing that? I'm priming it with the legumes and the diversity. Now, some of my northern brethren, you all don't have the flexibility that I do. I can plant just about anything and make it work. You know, we have the opportunity to plant a lot of stuff, so that allows me to play around with some of this. You know, so you get out there, this guy here called, Adam, I ain't got, I can't see my row markers. And, uh, you know, he, he don't, he's not running GPS, small producer here. Uh, went out there, drove, drove a truck out in it, said, yeah, this will work. But see, this is drought-stricken cover from, you know, we planted it in 16, what we had in 17 planting. I mean, just very thin. Yeah, it's tall, but they probably ain't five, 6,000 pounds of biomass. Don't have the vet, you know, the vetch didn't get prominent, don't have the legumes laying down. I mean, it's just, you know, it's tall, thin hair instead of a big, thick hair. So, went to the local tractor supply deal, measure, measured how big the hub is on a Kinsey planter, went up there, had to buy it. They, would, they wouldn't let me borrow it. And uh, just took a chance. I think this will work. R running that tire right there, here's what it looks like when you turn around. You know, for $43, I put a tremble on there for him. You know, <laughs> it was a 2.62. I don't know the hub. 
hub was a little bit tight. We had to beat it on there. But it's about a, it's about a four inch wide. I tell you what it is. You know them little cheap trailers they sell at Tractor Supply, the ones you see blew out on the interstate all the time. It was one of them. They they'll handle three and a half four mile an hour, okay, for a while. <laughs> They do, they do, but you got to have, you know, cover's got to be, you got to have enough by, if, I don't, it, it, when you drive your truck out there, if it stands back up, the poor man's GPS won't work. If you're listening to this podcast and it's got you thinking about cover crop management, you'll be sure to pick up helpful tips and information at the upcoming 27th Annual National No-Tillage Conference coming up January 8th through the 11th, 2019 in Indianapolis. The full conference program for this one-of-a-kind event has just been released, so please go to www.notillconference.com to download the program and see what actual no-till management strategies our speakers will bring to the table in January. For example, veteran innovative no-tillers Dave Brandt, Trey Hill, and Rick Clark will share their secrets for no-tilling green, utilizing cover crops to manage nutrients and save input costs. And Tennessee conservation educator and former Rodale Institute Research Director Paul Reed Hepperly will reveal in-depth information on the role earthworms play in nutrient cycling and building better no-tilled soils. Register online today for the National No-Tillage Conference for just $339 and register additional farm family members for just $312. Or complete and return the downloadable registration form by going to notillconference.com. To register by phone or to speak with an NNTC staff member, please call 262-432-0388 or email your questions to nntc at no-tillfarmer.com. Let's get back to our podcast now as NRCS District Conservationist Adam Doherty shares important viewpoints about low and high biomass cover crop systems and when might be the right time, if at all, to seed high biomass cover crop mixes in fields. All right, everything up to this point, if you're a seasoned no-tiller, all right, you probably got the equipment, and mentally and equipment-wise, you're, you're probably ready for. Okay, there's nothing special you got to have. Now it's time to enter the biomass zone. Okay, or however, wow, how's that twilight zone? You remember that twilight zone deal? So, yeah, whistle for me during this talk. <laughs> all right, this is different stuff, all right? Some jargon on biomass. Height is, should be irrelevant. It ain't, it ain't about the height, guys. It ain't about the height. It is stand density. It's degree of maturity, species composition. Are we talking green cover terminated, species partially terminated? Before dicamba in these mixes going into beans, we go in 30 days prior with our, with our de-chemistry priest. So that knock out all of our legumes, all of our winter survived brassicas. And then we allow the cereal grains to go on where we could pump that biomass, but then we still get some pigweed control down. <coughs> Firmness of the ground underneath is extremely important. That changes a lot of stuff, all right? And this is very dynamic. They ain't none of it the same. They ain't going to be the same from field to field. It darn sure ain't going to be the same from year to year. 
you know, and here's how you test if you're in this zone. If you do five swaps and you can't see the ground, you got enough biomass. <laughs> when to enter this zone? I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, maybe never. One, personally, you may not, you may not be able to handle it. Two, your resource may not need it. Okay, it, you may not need this. The ground may not need. We do not have to enter this zone to rejuvenate the resource, but we can accelerate resource rejuvenation with this. Not until you fully understand the context of how everything's designed to function, okay? This is not no-till farming. This is a whole different farming system whatsoever, okay? The, you know, about the only thing this thing's got in common with no-till farming is we still drive straight. Things change so much with this. Don't do it till your fields are ready, all right? We will build up too much biomass and, and cause you problems until we get these fields at a high enough biological level that we can start cycling this biomass. When you have some tools in place, all right, you've got to have some type of backup plan, either it be biological, management tool with something that's got four legs, light poles, you have you a backup plan. There will be a time that you cannot plant green standing. You've got to get it on the ground. All right. This is the field where I finally kind of got a little comfortable with my ways and lost all fear of biomass and pretty much thought if it ain't got trees growing in it, I can get a stand of corn. This don't look like that much just looking at it, height-wise, 26,000 pounds average biomass. Come on now. Luckily, when you pull up, if this is what you got, it ain't going to work. I don't care how much you I mean, <laughs> you're going to have to go buy your planter. All right? We, I, you know, how's those sayings? I can't make chicken soup out of chicken crap. All right? It just don't work. So keep that in mind. We'd like to sincerely thank Adam Doherty, an RCS district conservationist in Coffee County, Tennessee, for sharing actionable information and tips for making cover crop mixes successful. For listeners who'd like to hear more about successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Yitter Manufacturing Company, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at jdauberstein at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2430. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer, with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Adam Doherty and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Senior Editor John Dauberstein. Thank you for listening. 